0: Open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 8. We return to uh, the Exodus of the people of Israel out of their bondage and slavery in Egypt. Where they will go from Egypt and they will... Ultimately, meet with the Lord at Sinai, whereby he will make a formal covenant with them to be their God and they to be his people, conferring upon them the blessings to be such people, but also in light of the old covenant, as we have read in Deuteronomy, under the condition and stipulation that they will be obedient to him and his commandments and his statutes. But yet there is a a greater promise and a greater covenant that the Lord is fulfilling through that covenant and that is the covenant of redemption and ultimately the covenant of grace and the promise that the Lord bestowed upon humanity after the sin of the first Adam whereby he promised to provide a seed of the woman to crush the head of the serpent and further on when he speaks to Abraham He promises to Abraham to provide an offspring by whom all and through whom all the nations of the earth would be blessed. The means by which would be to make Abraham into a great nation. That nation would have a land to dwell in. And that eventually they would be provided a king to rule over them. And so showing forth God's desire, God's plan that he would one day provide the king, the anointed one to rule over his people and not just rule over the boundaries of a geopolitical nation like Israel, but rule over the whole heavens and the whole earth. We kind of got a little ahead of ourselves there in that introduction because we find ourselves in the beginning of that exodus. With the beginning of this exodus is that the Lord is now displaying his sovereign rule over all his creation. And not only this, but also his gracious care and preservation of his people to show forth the wonders of his mercy to us who take refuge in Christ. So what God has laid down here in real history, in literal history, literal plagues, we find hope in Christ for Christ comes as the second Adam Christ comes as Abraham's offspring Christ comes as the greater Moses he comes as David's son and so here in the very infancy of that we have the beginning and the wonders of that laid in uh, in type form before us and so as we look at Exodus chapter 8 and we'll be looking at the verse first 19 verses we'll see these things and hopefully by God's grace we'll be granted the faith to hold to them follow along as i read for us Exodus chapter 1 beginning in verse 1 excuse me Exodus chapter 8 beginning in verse 1 through verse 19 the word of the lord says then the lord said to moses Go to Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite your whole territory with frogs. The Nile will swarm with frogs which come up and go into your house and into your bedroom and on your bed and into the houses of your servants and on your people and into your ovens and into your kneading bowls. So the frogs will come up on you and your people and all your servants. Then the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your hand with your staff over the rivers, over the streams and over the pools and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. The magicians did the same with their secret arts, making frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Entreat the Lord that he remove the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go that they may sacrifice to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, The honor is yours to to tell me. When shall I entreat for you and your servant and your people that the frogs may be destroyed from you and your houses, that they may be left only in the Nile? Then he said, Tomorrow. So he said may it be according to your word that you may know that there is no one like the Lord your God. The frogs will depart from you and your houses and your servants and your people and they will be left only in the Nile. Then Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh and Moses cried to the Lord concerning the frogs which he had inflicted upon Pharaoh. The Lord did according to the word of Moses and the frogs died out of the houses the courts and the fields. So they piled them in heaps and the land became foul. And when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and did not listen to them as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth that it may become gnats through all the land of Egypt. They did so and Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth and there were gnats on man and beast. And all the dust of the earth became gnats through all the land of Egypt. The magicians tried with their secret arts to bring forth the gnats, but they could not. But they could not. So they, there were gnats on man and beast. Then the magicians said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he did not listen to them as the Lord had said. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let us go to Him again for help this morning. O oh Lord, as your word has been read in your congregation, we now entreat you by the mercies of Christ. So as you heard Moses' cries, so hear our cries, that you would help us now, Lord, to receive your word in gladness. That by your spirit, you would conform us to the image of Christ through it, so that we would not just be hearers of your word, but doers also. We ask these things in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Last week, we saw the connection between Pharaoh's question that he asked in chapter 5 when he said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? We saw the connection between that question and how the Lord acts in the 10 plagues. And in these 10 plagues, he's answering that question to Pharaoh. He's doing so in the same way that you try to convey your emphasis in your text messages in capital letters and 10 exclamation points. There can be no question as who the Lord is after these 10 plagues. And yet there's one more work of wonder in this exodus that the Lord will work that will essentially end it with a large period. And that's when the Red Sea is opened and swallows up Pharaoh and all his army. And so, as we've been seeing, it is for us when we approach the plagues of Egypt, we are to ask, who is like our Lord? Who is like Yahweh? Yahweh. And so this week we continue to answer this question through the second and third plagues. And we will make an emphasis on the source of the answer being found in God's revealed word. So I want you to understand that the Christian is to be constant on guard from false teaching. And so is to be constant in sitting under the word of God preached in the assembly, as well as holding fast to it in our private and family Worship. This morning, though, we address the second and third plagues of of, uh, Egypt. We do so under the lesson that we would understand as Christians to be constant on guard from false teaching. And so to be constant also in the sitting uh, and sitting under the word of God preached in the assembly, as well as holding fast to it in our private and family worships. Last week, we saw that there was a purpose that we can recognize. There was both an, an arrangement and a purpose to these plagues. As we address the second and third plague, we come to the end of the first set of plagues. There are three sets of threes, and all to highlight that tenth plague. For all the plagues, though they have, though some of them have... Um, Uh, seedlings or or revealings of mercy and redemption as in some of them the uh, people of israel are spared from them are explicitly stated that they're spared from them it is in the 10th plague that the redemption is seen the clearest and so these three threes are set to highlight that 10th plague and so that there is a warning as we see to separate these three threes that there's a warning that precedes the first and second plague as we saw as we read this morning. But the third in each series has no warning at all. And their purpose is manifold. They, they give a public manifestation of the mighty power of the Lord. They're a divine visitation of wrath upon Pharaoh and the Egyptians as well as they were a judgment from God upon the gods Of Egypt, or upon those demons of the gods of Egypt. They demonstrated that Jehovah was high above all gods. They also were to display man's utter inability and dependence, as well as God's utter utter omnipotence and independence, or aseity. They were a solemn warning to other nations that God would curse those who cursed the Israelites. And these plagues were meant to strengthen the people of God in knowledge of God. It was for them to know better their covenant God. Well, this week we address the second and third plagues, not necessarily in sequence, but thematically as they both point symbolically to false teaching, as we will see that what we have here in frogs and in gnats or in lice, especially as it relates to, Uh, to the further revelation of God, we can see in the deposit of God's word and the whole counsel of God that the Lord was showing to us not only his power, not only his rule over creatures like frogs and gnats, but for us to see the infestation that can come from false teaching, its ultimate end, and what will be the ultimate end of False teachers. What we uh, can address first, though, as we look at these thematically, is the target. The target of these plagues, as we said, was, was the Egyptians and their cultic worship. The first visitations, as one commentator said, were like a warning shot across the bows of the Egyptian ship. As we saw in the first uh, plague of the Nile turning into blood, we saw that as a bow across a number of gods, though maybe highlighted in particularly as Osiris, the god of the Nile. And so they turn he, the Lord turns all the water of the Nile into blood, not just that which was in the Nile, but that which was gathered from the Nile in pots and in basins, And we can surmise that the pots and basins, though they may have been there to keep for drinking, but they were probably also there to keep ceremonial ceremonially to either wash in or to put before an icon of the God. For it was Moses and Aaron that were directed to go and meet Pharaoh down at the water. And so as we see this progression that the Lord does against the the Egyptian cultic Life, we see there's a progression because these warning shots come across the the bow of the Egyptian ship. We can compare them with the death of, of a son in the 10th plague. We can compare that to water turned into blood and say that water turning into blood is really of no consequence compared to the death of every firstborn, both in cattle or in beast and in man. And so we see that if Pharaoh had listened to the word of the Lord, no plague at all would have fallen on him and his people. If the people of, of uh, Egypt had called upon Pharaoh to call upon the name of the Lord, none of this would have fallen on them. We need not spend too much time in, in these counterfactuals as if then, but it is the truth that if Pharaoh had, uh, had repented denied his supremacy and called upon God, established the Lord as the Lord of Egypt, the Lord would not have visited wrath upon them. As we see in the example of Nineveh and Jonah, a wicked and terrible city that turns and calls upon the Lord, and so the Lord does not destroy them. And the only person having a hard time with that was the one who the Lord sent to Jonah. Jonah. But here we find that the Lord is giving these warning shots. This plague of water, it's a little discomfort for a time they were unable to wash or they were unable to drink from the river. They had to dig separate wells or new, new wells near the, the river so that they could uh, find drinkable water. It would have been inconvenient. This morning we read of the frogs. And of gnats, or also, or, or could be lice or mosquitoes, depending on, on how you look at it. It's, uh, not great, but the firstborn sons are still alive at this point. The Lord is, in some ways, showing to the Israelites that He is gracious, even to those that are condemned. It says the Lord sends. Rain on the righteous and the wicked. Here it's a rain of frogs and a rain of gnats. But we know that also the Lord waters the crops of both the righteous and the wicked. He is a gracious God. He is abundant in loving kindness. He is patient with his creation. The other thing in target here, as we had said, as I've been saying, is this cultic worship. And there was a specific god. There was a frog goddess depicted in hieroglyphics as either a frog or as a, uh, as a woman with the head of a frog. This was Heket, a goddess of childbirth and fertility. It was seen that uh, it, it symbolized the fruitfulness and new life as they saw frogs who uh, populated the banks Of the Nile and that they would uh, and and that there would be a season of their repopulation. And so this God of Heket was seen as the God goddess of childbirth and fertility. It is thought that uh, her priestesses were trained midwives. So we see in God's moving even in the Nile and now to the frogs. The Lord is is really making a statement as The Pharaoh's choice to turn the river Nile into blood through the blood of the Egyptian children or Egyptian sons. As well as his uh, command to midwives to do such things. And so here he shows his supremacy over all so-called gods by bringing frogs out of the Nile, by bringing them out of all the living waters surrounding Egypt. One of the things that can help us understand what is this, how are we to understand this, not only literally as we proclaim that this truly happened in Egypt and it didn't happen because of a seasonal uh, growth, a baby boom of frogs in Egypt during this time. Nor were they escaping the blood of the Nile. And so then they all come out of the Nile at this time. For uh, both Pharaoh and his magicians, though, see this not in a naturalistic way. They see it in a spiritual way. For Pharaoh uh, asks uh, them to call upon the Lord to remove the frogs. And the magicians uh, don't just come and say, well, this is, happens every year. We don't need to worry about it. They actually try to replicate or they do replicate this in some form our part. And so these frogs appear to us here not only in that literal history and in that way, but also appear to us in the grand scheme of God's redemptive plan. And so it's important for us to see how they're referenced in other parts of scripture so that we may uh, benefit from this as the word of the Lord says these things were recorded for our benefit, for our instruction. So turn with me first to Psalm 78 We turned here uh, last week because in Psalm 78, it is a a somewhat detailed account, though it is in lyrical form or poetic prose, an account of God's faithfulness. Listen, O my people, in verse 1, to my instruction. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old. What What is the dark sayings of old here? It's not that... Um, the connotation is that we think of it in our current setting that these dark saints are are mystical kind of mad dark magic things, but the dark saints of old are those things held in mystery, those things revealed in part when they happened. Have now come into fuller revelation through this maskal of Asaph in light of God's further revelation of redemption history and in anticipating a further revelation, as we read. In Colossians, the mystery of Christ. The bringing about the salvation of the Gentiles, which would include Egyptians. So just as a side note, if you were a Jewish person and you were reading your Old Testament and, and then you get to the New Testament and you get this invitation to all the people that hated the Jews and sought to do their destruction in the Old Testament are now the ones invited into the church. You can see the stumbling block put before them in that way. And yet, praise be to the Lord that he saves his elect. And so we find those coming out of Egypt, proclaiming Christ as their Savior. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not conceal them from their children, but tell to the generations to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wondrous works that he has done. So in very small form, we see that the, uh, as this go, goes on to say in verses 43, and it, and it uh, details some of the plagues, that this was to show and proclaim his strength and his wondrous works. That praises would be would result in coming to the Lord, and so we see in verse forty four that their rivers were turned to blood, and their streams they could not drink. He sent among them swarms of flies which devoured them, and frogs which destroyed them. these frogs destroyed Egypt the destruction though that is uh, uh Emphasized here is not just a physical destruction and that they were everywhere, but there is a spiritual destruction as they represent. We will see something of false teaching. Turn now to Psalm 105. By the way, frogs are only appear in four places in Scripture. You might be surprised to hear that. Psalm 78, Psalm 105 and Revelation 16. We will have take time to read each one. Of these passages. Again. Psalm 105. Oh give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds. Among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Speak of all his wonders. Glory in his holy name. How are we to glory in God's holy name? How do we. Wh- how is? What is the relationship. Between speaking his wonders. And glorying in his holy name. It's one of uh, of direct relation the more we speak of his wonders the more we glory in his holy name the plagues here are detailed are are enumerated in verse or the one we're concerned with is is spoken of in verse 30 it says that speaking of uh the the egyptians their land swarmed with frogs even in the chamber In the chambers of their kings. So here, Pharaoh is not exempted from this plague where Pharaoh could possibly escape the water of the Nile turning into blood. Here, he cannot escape the plague of frogs. It may have resulted in the quickness in which he responded to this plague, uh, but we find that these frogs were also in the chambers of their kings. Kings, and then he spoke, and there came a swarm of flies and gnats in all their territory. Now, let's go to Revelation 16 and see how the Word of the Lord, how the same Spirit utilizes this same history as an example, as the Lord ordained it to come to pass, it would be as an example to us for something. Speaking in our in symbolic form as we find in Revelation in verse sixteen we have the bowls of wrath and we get down to verse thirteen that there are verse twelve the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates and its water dried up so that the way would be prepared for the kings from the east. And I saw coming verse thirteen out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast And out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs, for they were spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them together for the war of the great day of God Almighty. We don't need to go into all the details of who the dragon, who the beast is, who the false prophet is and how this is portrayed in Revelation but we must see that there are three unclean spirits that come out of the mouth of the false prophet like frogs. Frogs here depicted uh, to be unclean spirits. Frogs here to be shown forth in light of the Exodus plague to be the words of the false prophet and how they go forth. How they go forth performing signs. How they go forth to kings and deceive the kings of the whole world. That the kings would gather themselves against the Lord. Such that when we come back to Exodus and we see the extent of this plague. What we have for us as Christians is in part in, in a type form. A warning against us to the nature of false teaching. That it may begin at this first place, but it ends as it destroys everything, as we read in Psalm seventy-eight. It comes into uh, such a view that uh, Pharaoh comes to Moses. The other detail in this that points us to the wonders of God's work is that Pharaoh comes to Moses and entreats the Lord. And then Moses says, Pharaoh, why don't you name the day? Name the day when this will end. So that so that when Moses leaves, there will be no question in Pharaoh's mind as to who ends the plague. Not nature, not his magicians, not the people sweeping them out of their houses, But it would be by the word of the Lord so that Pharaoh could not attribute the removal of the frogs to happy chance or good luck as he was allowed to choose the time of relief. And this time of relief comes, he says, tomorrow, and we'll get into that here in a little bit. But as we've been seeing, these frogs that are now a part of Israel's history as a plague upon Egypt... And, they, and we can understand them in some form as to be the words of false prophets. So they further are uh, solidified in that line as they depict uncleanness. We read in places like uh, in Leviticus where they have the dietary restrictions of the Israelites under the Old Covenant that they were not to eat of any unclean animal. They were only to eat of that which has fins and swims in the ocean, or in the waters. But anything that came upon land, crawled upon uh, feet or, or, or on their bellies, that would be unclean to them. Though frogs are not named specifically, it is implied that frogs were to be unclean to the people of Israel. That they would be prohibited from eating frogs. I, I would say this is further Deepening the metaphorical line of frogs being depicting the words of false prophets. This is further pressed to understand in the light of the unclean message of Revelation 16 as we read. Frogs as products of false prophets. In Mark chapter 13 we see the false prophets intent is to deceive So we see also here in part the magicians seeking to deceive Pharaoh and the people into not attributing the source of these frogs rightly. So they seek to recreate this uh, plague on their own. And this might... Push us further as we see those unclean spirits associated with demons in Revelation 16 to see that it may further justify the understanding that these magicians acted according to such power. What is the remedy of such false teaching? Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Second Timothy chapter four, beginning in verse one, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you be sober in all things, endure hardships, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry, for I am ready already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will reward me to me, award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Paul to Timothy, ministering in Ephesus, warns Timothy. That there will be those that will come and wanting to have their ears tickle will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desire. Think about the smallness that it takes to tickle one's ear. The smallness of such teaching that begins with the tickling of the ear, but he's saying will lead to destruction. So Timothy is charged to preach the word. In season and out of season to re- reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. And what do we have in here is that we are afforded a reward, an award of crown that of, of a crown of righteousness, all who have loved his speaking of Christ's appearing. all those who sit in that, under that preaching faithfully, all who attend to the means of the word in their private homes and in their family worship. Those are the ones who hearts will be softened, but their ears will be hard. Ears will be hard to err, but their hearts will be softened to God's word. But if we afford ourselves a little tickling of the ear, It will be like the frogs of the Nile, where eventually they were found in places thought to otherwise be clean, in the feeding troughs and the ovens. So it is with false teaching that it begins with a little tickling of the ears and will inevitably be left, if left unchecked, lead to all areas of our moral lives. We may think that holding to such False doctrines does not affect how we live, but that is false. It will eventually lead to your moral lives. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. We see the same thing with the gnats, but we see this on display, not in their, uh, not only in how uh, spread around they were, but also in the interplay between Pharaoh and his magicians. This lesson of the gnats or the lice shows the importance of not hardening our hearts to the true doctrine of God's word. Unlike Pharaoh, who continued to deny the supremacy of the Lord when he received relief from the from the frogs, as soon as he received relief, he turned and went back and hardened his heart so that the people of God would not be dismayed at such things. That section ends as the Lord had said. The emphasis upon the word of God in all of this. But it says that Pharaoh cries out or tells Moses and Aaron to entreat the Lord. That he remove the frogs from me and my people. Pharaoh was casting upon uh, Moses and Aaron that they would entreat their Lord. Entreat your God, Moses and Aaron. Tell him to stop this. Because what's very apparent to Pharaoh is that the Lord was not Pharaoh's Lord as it relates to by faith. He was Pharaoh's Lord as it relates to creator and creature. For the Lord is above all and Lord over all things. Demonstrated through the uh, promulgation of frogs and gnats. But for Pharaoh, as we see true faith being the ascent that there is something true to the recognition and the noticing and the and the, and the saying that this is true then to the relying and saying this is my truth not worldly live your truth but that you have accepted that God saves sinners that it is true that God saves sinners and then finally that it is true that you are a sinner; that God has saved you. We see that that never reaches Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh hardens his heart and call, and tells Moses and Aaron, "Entreat the Lord that He remove the frogs from my people. The punishment is too great." He's in the spirit of Cain. Cain kills Abel. God comes to Cain and says, "Cursed are you, Cain, among all people." And he. And, and he curses Cain and he says, you'll go and you'll be a wanderer and a sojourner. Cain's response to the Lord is not, oh, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Cast your grace. Give me your mercy and grace. But Cain says, your punishment is too great. I can't I can't bear up this punishment. So it is with Pharaoh. Remove the frogs from me and my people. And I will let the people go. But he says, I will let the people go that they may sacrifice to the Lord. And we know through further inactions that we will look at in, in subsequent weeks that his instruction here is one of compromise. Go and sacrifice to the Lord. Because eventually he'll say, yeah, go sacrifice to the Lord just right over there in the land. And then he says, okay, well, you can go, but just don't go that far. Pharaoh continually compromising God's word for he had not taken it in as his own Pharaoh had not uh, taken had not had faith in the Lord and so these gnats come upon or these lice I like I like to think that they're lice I like gnats you know when they're they get in your eye and it's a discomfort when they're in your eye but the connotation here is of some biting type insect And there's nothing more scary than lice. If you've had it, you know. It makes my skin crawl to think about it. Now think that it came out of the dust of the ground and it covered the whole land. When Aaron smote the ground and its dust became lice and the lice came upon Egypt, it was a graphic showing forth of the awful fact that man by nature is under the curse of a holy God. We are prone to wander, to have our ears tickled. By nature, we are under the curse of a holy God. We see that the plague also could not be replicated by the magicians. So it is with our adversary. He is afforded by sovereign will and good purposes of the Lord. The exercising of a certain amount of power. And so as so we can affirm with this commentator death, he can afflict by God's permission and uncleanness he can bring forth freely as the magicians illustrated in the first two plagues. But the curse, which the dust becomes lice so plainly speaks of, he is not allowed to tamper with. Our adversary cannot undo the curse. Though his own magician priests testified to the reality of a power higher than any of the gods of Egypt being at work, Pharaoh was not prepared to acknowledge this. The evidence presented to him was not going to overturn his inner desire to maintain his independence from the Lord and his opposition to him. It was not a lack of information that was the problem. Pharaoh was displaying the inner heart rebellion against God that is typical of fallen mankind. He wanted to continue as God's as as the god king of Egypt and so was not prepared to accept the authority of the Lord over him no matter what evidence was placed before him here pharaoh is presented with the word of the Lord through these unrighteous and unho- unholy magicians cuz they say truly this is the finger of God this is the act of God this is this is the intimate and intentional act of God just as the Lord spoke through a donkey to Balaam, he speaks through these unrighteous and unholy magicians to Pharaoh. Still his word, and yet the Pharaoh, Pharaoh would not hear it. We must be on guard so that we would not fall into the folly of Pharaoh. We need to be dethroned in our hearts. The word of God is to be our word. The words of his magicians now match some degree the words of Moses and so spoke the truth of God to Pharaoh and yet he hardened still his heart to the word of God. And so we see those that are not made better by God's word and providences are commonly made worse by them. And so by this we also may understand antagonism to your faithful witness of the gospel will continue To the end of history. And that they should not be disheartened because it is part of God's plan in which they can trust. And we can see the destruction of the of the frogs, though bringing relief to the Egyptian should have displayed upon them the reality of God's judgment upon not only that goddess Heket, but upon all false prophets, upon all that would that would falsely prophesy in the name of God. So we Christians must be on guard from false teaching. Coming up easily to tickle our ears, yet now, but then eventually finding our in the innermost recesses, our innermost corner of our minds and our hearts, if left unchecked. False teaching comes under the banner of many false intentions and promises as we see that our adversary is a deceiver. The world wants us to pay attention to everything but the Lord and what he is doing. Our flesh, even our fallen flesh, desires those things. And so we must be on guard and be full up in God's word and his promises. So we are to be constant in sitting under the word of God preached in the assembly, as well as holding fast to it in our private and family worship. Oh, that we would do this. Oh, that the Lord, by his spirit, working through his word, would guard our hearts from false teaching so that we would not be like those frogs, be like Pharaoh, be like the magicians, be like the Egyptians, and certainly, as we will see, be like the Israelites, but that we would remember the works of the Lord and his mighty deeds and proclaim them as often as able. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, Lord. What wonder it is that you have called fallen, rebellious creatures to be a part of your courts of praise. Truly, Lord, you have given us lips and hearts, lips to sing, hearts to love, minds to ponder. You've also given us your spirit so that it may train and discipline those faculties to do so According to your word, protect us from the slightest false teaching. For we know that false doctrine leads to false living. That we may hold fast by your strength to your promises to Christ our Lord. We thank you for the hope that by his death and resurrection, these things may be true about us. We're found in Him. We pray these things in His name. Amen.